morning. Greetings in Christ's name this morning. I can say it's definitely good to be here. I think this is my first time ever being here on a Sunday morning. So, yeah, it's good to be here. Since the beginning of time, us as humans had had a longing for companionship, acceptance from others, a place to belong to. This is one of the reasons why God created Eve. He said that it is not good that man should be alone. When infants and children are left alone, when there is no one that cares about them and that expresses love to them, it can have a negative impact on their lives. While there may be people that choose to live an isolated life, there is still a void in their life that is empty because of no interaction with other people. I believe the age that we live in with the technology that we hold in our hand namely the smartphone, if it has fought against companionship, brotherhood in the church, that feeling of being connected to other people if we use our phones in the wrong way. Today, we can watch videos and movies all by ourselves, whatever we want to watch, whereas a decade ago, it was a group effort where everyone sat in front of a screen and watched it together. Today, we can listen to music with our earbuds all, our, all by ourselves with whatever music that we want to listen to. Whereas a decade ago, you put a CD into a stereo and those that were within earshot heard the music that you were listening to and were a part of that experience. Today, you can read, you can look at whatever you want to with your phone. But there was a time where people could see what you were reading or what you were looking at because of the book that you held in your hand. Along with these thoughts, my assigned topic, and just think about this, is with is the brotherhood in the church. We will be looking at what, it, at what does it mean to relate to one another. What is my part in the church? And what are some of the privileges and responsibilities in being a part of the church? The first question that we should answer is, what is the church? Jesus said in Matthew 16 that he will build his church. Those who confess that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, are a part of that church. The greater church, the universal church, are all those that confess that Jesus is the Messiah. It is all those who we gathered around the throne in Revelation 4 and 5, worshiping God and the Lamb on the throne. And this is what the church is. There are some things in our life that is a picture of this group of the church. First picture that we can see is our homes, our families. Our families are a picture of the church. While there are some families that have their last name as Peachy, there is set aside one family that belongs to me and my wife and my children. And the same is true for other Peachy households. My children know whose family they are a part of because of who their parents are and also because of who their siblings are. 
the way that our home life is like is most likely how we view the church and how we relate to those in the church. If there is anger, an unsubmissive spirit, a controlling spirit, an attitude that I am the center of my home where everything revolves around me, it will show itself in the church by your life there. Or if you're in your home, there is love for one another. There's a servant heart. There's a submissive spirit. Christ is the center of your home. That also will show itself in the church by your life there. Our homes reflect the universal church. Another reflection of this universal church is our local church, Mine Road Church here. And I will be speaking mainly about this local church here. It is a local church where we can find brotherhood. And if that brotherhood is not found in this church, we need a revival in this church. I remember when there was someone giving a testimony when he was being received as a member of a church. Um, this is what he said, that he now has a place to belong to. There's a group of people that he belongs to, and I think that's an excellent, excellent response when we are joining a church. The invisible church, the greater church, is made up of people that come from different nationalities, different cultures, different backgrounds. There is a wide range of ages. I think that should be the same in a church, local church. It should be made up of people from all age groups, made up of people that think differently than you, respond to a, difference, to a situation differently than you. In other words, a church needs different kinds of personalities, different giftings, united together by the Holy Spirit. The church, our, the local church, is not made up of people who are your best friends. I, I think it is such a blessing and is a beautiful picture when there's a wide variety of ages in a church. I want to look a little bit at the importance of church membership. There are many people that believe that church membership is not important. And the reason that I talked about our cell phones in the beginning is because it is totally the opposite from being a part of a church. There are many people that never go to church, but they watch church on their phones. They are watching whom they want to watch. They listen to the sermon that they want to listen to. Going to church for them is only about themselves. To be a part of a church, to be a part of Mind Road Church, we need to give of ourselves for the church. We can't do that from our couch at home. Looking at the importance of being part of a church and some things I want to bring out here. How well could you play football or volleyball all by yourself? When there is a team, each position doing what they were meant to do, and the game is played the way that it is supposed to, the game is more enjoyable to play. Another illustration that we give is how well does it sound when we all would sing alto or bass by itself? The singing sounds way better when each part, soprano, alto, tenor, and bass, are blended together 
contributing their different notes. It produces beautiful harmony. And also, when you're grilling tomorrow in your backyard, how well could you cook your steak or hamburger with only one charcoal? You would not get the heat that you need to get your steak or hamburger cooked. When there are many coals together, it produces enough heat, and that heat lasts a very long time so that you can cook your food. While the Bible doesn't say that you should be a member of a church, it does imply that those who are born again, those who have been baptized, and have the Holy Spirit within them, are a part of a local church. And may I remind you again, the local church is a picture of what the greater universal church is going to be gathered around the throne. In the greater church, not everyone is just a part of it. You don't just join the greater church. Just because you're born doesn't mean that you'll be around the throne in Revelation 4 and 5. There are requirements that need to be met. And that is believing in Jesus as the Messiah. The same should be true here at Mine Road Church. Not just anyone joins this church. They too need to confess that Jesus is the Messiah. They need to be born again. When Paul wrote his letters in the New Testament, he wrote them to particular churches. For example, First and Second Corinthians were written to the church at Corinth. Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus. And also John wrote seven letters to seven different... He wrote letters to seven different churches in Revelation. Specific churches with certain people in those churches. Also, speaking about the importance of church membership, Hebrews 13, 17 would indicate a particular group of people belonging to a certain church. And it goes like this. Obey them that had the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. If you are not a part of a church, who is responsible for your soul? Who are you to obey and submit to? And the same is true for us as pastors. Us as pastors need to know who we are to give an account for, who we are responsible for. The The pastors would be overwhelmed if they are responsible for every Christian in the world, people that don't, they don't even know. The Bible gives different imagery of what the church is like. Not only the greater church, but I think also the local church here at Mine Road. The church is like branches receiving our growth from the vine or the stalk, which is Jesus. Another picture, the church is like a family. Your brothers and sisters adopted into God's family, with God being our father and Jesus as our brother, the firstborn. Another picture of what the church is like, the church is like a flock, with Jesus being the shepherd, the one who cares for for us, who provides for us with food and water, 
the one who protects us. The pastors in the church are also considered as shepherds, as those who care for the church, those who provide truth from Scripture for the growth of the church, and those who protect the church from the lies and false teaching that goes on in the world that would hurt and wound the church. Another picture is that the church is like a building, with Jesus as a cornerstone, giving us a strong foundation that no earthquake, no tornado, no hurricane, no fire will cause the building to collapse. Another picture that we see in scripture about the church is that church is like a human, fa- a human body with many different body parts and cells with Christ being the head of the body. And we see that in, here in 1 Corinthians 12. And it is this illustration that I will be talking about today because it fits, I think, the best with the topic that is assigned to me. We can see with some of these illustrations of things that we talked about, the church membership is something that is very important. You're a part of the group in order for it to function and so that you can have eternal life. If you're at 1 Corinthians 12, uh, yeah, you can turn to there now. I'm going to be speaking a lot about um, this passage for the next couple of minutes here. Um, like I said, in this in this chapter, we can see how the church is supposed to function and relate to one another. First thing that I will look at is that the church is one. And we see that in verse 12 and 13. When we look at a person, we know them by their name. We can identify who that person is. Uh, if I say Joseph Peachy, you would immediately think of the one who's preaching. If I would say Marcus Byler, you would think of Marcus. The same is true for any of you in the church here. But what if I would take my heart out and compare it with someone else's heart? Would you be able to tell whose heart it is? Or if we would compare one person's arm and hand to another person's arm and hand without knowing who they belong to, would you know whose they are? We wouldn't be able to tell whose heart is it is, and who would be it would be a challenge to figure out whose arm and hand it belongs to. An average human body has approximately thirty trillion cells. All these cells work together in harmony so that the body can survive. And all these cells, when they are formed together, it, cre- it creates you or I. When a certain number of those cells are missing, it is more difficult to identify the person. The same is true for the church. When the world looks at Mind Road Church, who do they see? Do they see each individual person that attends here? Or do they see someone that feels like they need to be in control of this church? Or one who is superior than others? Or do they see Christ? I'm going to read verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. There are many members here in this church. But when we are all working in harmony, doing the gift, 
that God has given us, the world will see Christ. This is something that is very important in the church, that they see Christ instead of each individual member. And I think that is exactly what John prayed for, or Jesus prayed for in John 17. I want to read verse John 17, 20 to 23. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, and that that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Jesus' prayer for the church is that we may all be that we may all be one, that we may all live in harmony with one another. What is the purpose of being one? That it says here in John seventeen. So that, so that the world may believe that God sent Jesus. I believe this unity, this oneness that we have with each other and with Christ, is our greatest evangelism tool that we can have. If we don't have this unity and oneness, it destroys our witness. And as we go into missions, I think it is very important that we go with the church supporting us. Otherwise, you're doing it all alone. And it doesn't show the world who Jesus is. All they see is just you. Also, Matthew five fourteen it says that the city set on a hill cannot be hid. How many lights does it take to light up a city? There are many lights that light up a city. It's not just one. Many lights. So it is with the church. When we allow the light of Jesus Christ to shine in our hearts and we are one with those in the church, our little light becomes a bright light from the city that will not be hid. In order for people to see Jesus, we need to be one. So we can ask the question, what makes us one? What makes the church one? Was Jesus' prayer answered when he prayed that we may all be one. Yes, I believe it was answered. What makes us one as a church is the Holy Spirit living within us. The Holy Spirit doing his work in our hearts. It is not that we all are the same and that we act the same. It's a Holy Spirit that makes us one. And we can see that in verse 13. For by one spirit... Are we all baptized into one body? And this happens when we are born again, when we become Christians. Because we are one vertically with God and His Son through the Holy Spirit, we are automatically one with those in the church horizontally. We are unified together because of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think it's neat. And good, how when we declare to the church that we have committed ourselves to follow Jesus and are baptized, we are then considered a member of the church body. We are one with all the other church members in that church. And I think one thing that we need to be careful with 
is that our flesh is fighting against this oneness. So what does it mean that we are all one? What does that look like? And we can see that at the end of verse 13. It shows us what that looks like. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. To be one in Christ has the idea that there is no one better than the other. We are all sinners saved by grace. And you see that Jews or Gentiles, bond or free, they're opposites in that society then. The Jews um, thought that the Gentiles were evil and sinners, and they didn't, didn't have any part in God's family. But with the Holy Spirit, they're equal. They're one. To be one in Christ has the idea that there is no one better than the other. We are all sinners saved by grace. The Jews were not better than the Gentiles. They were both equal at the foot of the cross. The same idea applies to the to the slaves and those that were free, who were made, who were in the church. They were equal at the foot of the cross. There was no one better than the other. And with those illustrations, we can't necessarily identify them like they did back then. But we are all equal at the foot of the cross. Romans 12.3 says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Don't think more highly than others, but to think soberly. It is God who blesses, and not because we earned it. In the beginning of chapter 12 here, it talks about the different gifts that God has given to to each believer. And because of the gifts that we receive, we are not better than another. We are one. We are complete with what God has given to each person. At the cross, we are all equal. We are sinners saved by grace. When we are one, we believe in one God, one Savior of the world, which is Jesus and one faith. What we, what we believe as truth from the scriptures. That's what it means when we think about oneness. What does it look like? So what is a symbol that we are one together as a church and with Christ? 1 Corinthians 10, 16 to 17, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we are, for we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. The word communion is the word koinonia, which means fellowship, association, com- community, joint participation, sharing. When we partake, in the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, we profess ourselves as his guests and covenant people. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it represents a unified body that is dependent on the death of Christ. The phrase, for we being many are one bread and one body, refers to the individual members who make up one corporate body, the church. So we can see that that is a symbol 
of our oneness? Are there things that disrupt this oneness that we have with each other in Christ? Sin breaks the unity that we have with one another. Sin has an effect on not just the, per- the person committing the sin, but also the whole church. I had mentioned in the beginning that us as humans long for companionship and being connected with other people. But when we sin, the exact opposite happens. We want to hide in the darkness so no one knows our failures. Remember what happened to the children of Israel in Joshua 7? How Achan took about the story of how Achan took the Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold before when they were going into the land of Canaan to take over the city or the Jericho. Uh, and then after that time, after they conquered Jericho, um, the children of Israel went up to fight against Ai, which was supposedly an easy victory for them. But we know the story. They were defeated. And I want to look at the reaction of God to the children of Israel in Joshua 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. It was one man's sin that brought disgrace to the whole entire group. God was angry at the whole group. And then in verses 10 and 15, when God was speaking to Joshua, not once did God refer it to one man's sin, but it was that Israel had sinned. It wasn't just Achan that was defeated at Ai. It was the whole children of, all of children of Israel were defeated. When we as an individual see that there is sin in the church, we are responsible to help that brother see the sin in his life. The steps taken to reveal the sin, we can see that in Matthew eighteen fifteen to 17. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. When you and I sin and is not taken care of by confession, it will affect our church and it will continue to affect us until it is dealt with. I want to look at the commitment to the body, to the church, the local church. And we, see, we can see that in verses 15 to 20 in 1 Corinthians 12. When we think of the word commitment, it is a word that is maybe not very popular today. Uh, people are afraid to commit themselves to anything or to anyone. And when we do commit ourselves to something, it exposes our weaknesses and our failures. Many times there are people who jump around from church to church trying to find the perfect church, trying to find a church that pleases them, where they will feel like they are getting what they want. That is a sign of uncommitted person. When we are committed to a church, we come to church to share with others. 
We give of ourselves to others so that others can be a blessing or that so that others can be blessed. Commitment requires giving of ourselves for the sake of others. And I think that's important when we come to church every Sunday morning. Why do you come? Is it to receive a blessing for yourself or is it to be a blessing to others? And I think that's something that each one of us need to be a part of. God has given us all kinds of different gifts so that it helps the body to be united or unified. So that it helps us as a church to be one. And just because we aren't assigned a particular role in the church that we want to do, doesn't mean that we should jump to the next church. <clears throat> if all of us is the eye of the body, like it says in verse 17, then what about the rest of the body? Are we even a body if we are all doing the same things in the church? A body in the church is just like the human body. It requires many different people to do many different functions within the church. God has made each one of us different, our personalities, the way that we think, for the sake of the church. And thinking about commitment to the church, I like the verse in Acts 2, 4, or 42. And this is speaking about the 3,000 souls that were added to the church the first day that the church began. And it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. <clears throat> I think this verse speaks of commitment and dedication to the church. They continued steadfastly. Do we have that kind of commitment to this church? These people came to church, giving of themselves to the church. They gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. They were doing the symbol of their unity, communion. They gave of themselves to pray. And speaking about commitment to the church, just to remind us that this church here, Mine Road, is a picture of the universal church who will one day live in eternity in heaven. If we are all Christians, we will all be together forever in heaven. How exciting is that? That is very exciting, right? Do we all have that excitement, the same excitement when we come to church every Sunday? And we meet the same people that we have been part of for the last year or five years or ten years. Do we have that excitement, the same excitement as we look forward to heaven and being with Christians there? It can be very easy for us when we go to ministers' meetings or to CBS or youth fellowship meetings or some other kind of big spiritual event where we don't know the people very well and we are all excited about being there, but then have a critical spirit of, our, of the home church. We don't get excited about gathering with the people that are there. Is that the right attitude to have? Who is the one that is designing Mind Road Church? Who is the one placing the members within the church, giving them the gifts that they have? Is it you or is it God? We need to think about that as we consider our church. 
There's a saying that I'm sure maybe some of you has heard before, and I hope it isn't true um, of us here, but the saying goes like this, to dwell in love with saints above, well, that will be glory. To dwell with saints I know below, why, that's a different story. Another thing about um, commitment to the body is pleasing the Lord. Are we striving, striving to please God within the church? Then let's give of ourselves, yourself, to the church. Do in the church what God has designed you to do, to help bring unity in the church. And I think when we do that, we are called, when we do what we are called to do, it pleases him. Are we committed to the church, doing in the church what God has called us to do? What about accepting all that are in the body or in the church? And we can see that in verse 21 and 23. As a church, there needs to be humility toward one another. There is no one that is more important than another. We need to have love toward one another. And not just a surface love for each other. We need to have a deep love for one another within this church. A type of love that would die for our brother. When we have that kind of love... We can then accept those who are in the church, no matter what their personality is like or what their gift is like in the church. When we love like that, we will feel that all the members, with whatever gift that they serve the church with, with is very important. It talks about the feeble and the less honorable parts of the body. What are those feeble parts of the body? of the human body. Um, You can think about the heart, the lungs, the liver, the kidneys, the stomach. If these parts in your body are damaged in any way, it affects the body. These parts aren't hidden inside our, these parts are hidden inside our bodies. They aren't noticeable, but yet they are very important. And what is something special about these parts that are in your bodies, the ones that I mentioned. These organs are protected by other parts of the body. There is the skin, there's the flesh, and the rib cage that surround these organs protecting them. I think that is the same in the church body. There may be some that are feeble, that are discouraged, those that are new in the faith. It is very important that we, that we surround them, that we protect them from the outside elements of the church that would harm them. Their presence in the church is still very important. Their gift that they contribute to the church is valuable and indispensable. What are ways that we can do this? I think as you look at the people in this church, do you know what their needs are? Or do you know what they're rejoicing about? As a church, we need to be involved in the church, in people's lives. We need to weep with them. We need to help them carry their load. And we also need to rejoice with them. Also, throughout the Bible, there are different things that we are commanded to do 
something for one another. And I'm going to read off some of those one another's that you see in the scriptures. We are to love one another. And it's the love that I described earlier, an agape love, a deep love. We are to comfort one another with the words from scripture. We are to exhort one another daily. And this is not something that just happens on Sunday mornings, once a week. We need to do it daily, every day of the week. And we need to greet one another with a holy kiss. And whether you use practices here or not, the principle behind it is important. Do you have a warm acceptance of all those in the church? Or is there some people that you hold at arm's length? We need to consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. We need to encourage, we need to stir other people up to love and do good works to others. We need to edify one another. We are promoting growth. We are encouraging growth in another person's life in the church. We need to admonish one another. We are to warn one another. When we do these things, when we accept one another with the way that they serve the church and with the gift that God has given them, there will be less of a chance for division to take place in the church or so that it won't be torn in two. There's a story that I heard from David Jeremiah that speaks about how we are to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in the church. And I'm going to read it, and it goes like this. In Brooklyn, New York, there's a, there's a school that caters to mildly learning disabled children. The father of one of these children spoke at a fundraising banquet for the school. And after extolling the school on its de- dedicated staff, he cried out in the midst of his speech, Where is the perfection in my son, Shia? Everything God does is done in perfection. But my son can't understand things as other children do. My son cannot remember facts and figures as other children do. Where is God's perfection? The audience was shocked by this question and pained by the father's anguish. And after a period of silence, he gave the answer. He said, I believe that when God brings a child into this world, like my son, that the perfection that he seeks It's in the way people react to him. Then he told this story about his son, Shia. He said, one afternoon, Shia and his dad walked past a park where some boys were playing baseball. Shia asked, do you think they'll let me play? And his father knew that his son was not at all athletic or coordinated. Most boys would not want him on their team. Still, his father understood that if his son was chosen to play, it would give him a sense of belonging. So Shia's dad approached one of the boys on the field and asked if Shia could play. The boy looked around for guidance from one of his teammates. Getting none, he took matters into his own, own hands, and he said, we're losing by six runs. The game is in the eighth inning. If he wants to join our team, if he wants to be on our team, we'll try to put him up to bat in the ninth. Shia was told to put on a glove and go out and play short center field in the bottom of the eighth. In the bottom of the eighth, Shia's team scored a few runs, while they were still behind by three. 
In the bottom of the ninth, Shia's team scored again. And now there were there was two outs and the bases loaded and the potential running winning run on base. And Shia is up to bat. Would the team actually let Shia bat at this juncture and give away their chance to win the game? Surprisingly, Shia was given the bat, and everybody knew that it was impossible because he couldn't even hold the bat right, let alone swing it. However, as Shia stepped up to the plate, the pitcher moved a few steps closer to lob the ball in softly, so Shia could at least make contact. The first pitch came in, and Shia swung clumsily, and he missed. One of Shia's teammates came up to Shia, and together they held the bat and they faced the pitcher, together waiting for the next pitch. The pitcher took a few steps closer and tossed the ball even more softly to Shia. As the pitch came in, Shia and his teammate swung the bat, and together they hit a slow ground ball to the pitcher. The pitcher picks the self-grounder up and could, have, could easily have thrown the ball to first. Shia would have been out, and that would have ended the game. But instead, he took the ball, and he threw it on a high arc to right field, far beyond the reach of the first baseman. Everyone started yelling, Shia, run to first. Well, he never ran to first in his life. He scampered down the baseline, wide-eyed and startled. And by the time he reached first base, the right fielder had the ball. He could have thrown the ball to second baseman. He would tag out Shia, he was still running. But instead, he threw the ball high and far over the third baseman's head. And everybody yelled, run to second, Shia, run to second. Shia ran toward second base as the runners ahead deliriously circled the bases toward home. As Shia reached second base, the opposing shortstop ran to him, turned him in the direction of third base and shouted, run to third. As Shia rounded third, the boys from both teams ran behind him screaming, Shia, run home, run to home. Shia ran home, stepped on home plate, and all 18 boys lifted him up on their shoulders making him the hero because he had just hit a grand slam, and he won the game for the team. That day, said his father, tears now rolling down his face, that day, for one moment, those 18 boys reached their level of God's perfection. This story is a beautiful picture of how we ought to relate to one another here in this church. Are we helping each other to, to succeed way above ourselves? Are we doing our part in causing the church to grow, to be one with one another and one with God? Or have we allowed sin to enter into the church? Or do we criticize each other, tear each other down? Are we trying to make this church my church? Or do we recognize that this church belongs to God? My prayer for my own life and also for this church is that we can be united by the aid of the Holy Spirit. Also that God would be pleased at the way that we function within this church. If you're able, let's kneel to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings you love for us. Thank you, Lord, for the church.